If you see something, say something. At Reply, weird things come with any weird story you find on the web, and you can help make weirdthings.com even weirder. Who is the Martian Emperor? When a giant airship descends on New York City in 1892 and threatens destruction if the world does not submit to the Martian flag, it's up to the mysterious Smith, inventor and adventurer, to find out what forces are at work. To stop the menace, they'll need to enlist the help of Theodore Roosevelt and other early 20th century heroes. It's the second book in Andrew Maine's The Chronological Man series, and the Martian Emperor combines mystery airship battles, and backroom Tammany Hall politics, all against the backdrop of a world on the verge of war. You can buy it for only $1 at Amazon or Nook, coming soon to Apple iBooks. Or, if you would like to listen to the first two chapters for free, wait until the end of this very podcast. It's Andrew Maines, the chronological man, the Martian Emperor, available now on eBook. Bandwidth for the Weird Things Podcast provided by Wired Tree. For sites of any size and world-class customer service, head on over to wiredtree.com. Boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Weird Things, the podcast. <laughs> I now like I'm that inflection right on now, there. Uh, I only, we may have a special guest, may have a, a nice, slightly high pitched voice, but it's not going to be our darling, not going to be the, the, the weird at that everybody loves Bonnie. She's uh what is she? She's not here tonight. Why? No, she's on probation. She wasn't weird right. enough. Can we have her back? She was not on fire or shooting lasers from her eyes. And I'm like, sweetheart, unless you get more weird, you're not welcome on the, on the show. Which is always welcome on the show. So. Anyhow, that first voice you heard is Mr. Brian Brushwood. Hello, America, and also other places that aren't America. And the other person about to speak is? Justin oh, hi. Go. I'm Justin. Uh, <laughs> and I'm Andrew Maine, and this is the Weird Things Podcast. Gentlemen, I want to start off with a couple things. They're not so weird, but kind of kind of cool and interesting. Um, no, let's start. Do we want to start weird or cool and interesting? I am oh, weird first. We don't call yeah. it the cool and yeah, interesting let's podcast. Get it way, way weird. Let's get it so weird we all get creeped out. So I tell you what, let's just all take off our shirts. Done. Come on. <laughs> you guys think, are... Yeah, Justin and I ended up wearing the same shirt. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I should run down and get mine Ladies so we can all look like we're it's in a an cult. audio gag. We're all wearing the same shirts, or at least yeah. you ought to or believe. South by that. Southwest shirts. <laughs> All right. uh, and it's funny, it's like he came over to pick something up earlier and saw we're wearing the same shirts and we're mo- knowing we were both going to do the show tonight. The two of us were too stubborn, <laughs> even though we're all broadcasting from our houses, too stubborn to change. Like, no, I got this first. You change. No, you change. You have to want to change. Got stains on it. Um, so you may recall that the uh, shortly after uh, the last space shuttle launch, a uh, certain nation that also has a space program one of the heads of that space program may or may not have said some things that were i don't know kind of like spiking the football or rubbing our noses in it alluding to the idea that the space age is over for america and and now it's truly begun for this what other did, country what did china comrades. say 
No, it's not China. Not China? No. no the that country was, with like a, was, real, uh, a much more viable it, space program. More yeah, China's, China's making you know, great leaps of progress, though. Yeah. Well, and plus, like, China's got, like, they've had this 30-year plan that they've been following. Apparently, they're hitting all their milestones, and they're serious about going to the moon. Um, yeah. Who else is it? The Russia. Greeks. Yes. I mean, Russia. I guess. Yeah, of course, Russia. it's got to be Russia. Remember remember this thing, the statement came out where the Russian was like, oh, now space is ours because America's no longer able to get there and blah, blah, blah. And then there was this retraction, like, no, he didn't say that, but it was kind of a... Kind but, of a yeah, Soviet-era-esque retraction. It's, 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 it's like, uh, yeah, but no, we didn't say that. But seriously, space is ours. We totally yeah, so, own it. You know, a little bit of a, hey, hey, America. And, you know, meanwhile, we've got private companies, SpaceX, Blue Origin, and a few others developing some pretty awesome stuff. But this isn't about that. Then Russia had a couple failures. There was the Mars probe that uh, the fear was it was going to break up and, you know, turn us all radioactive right you know which that was kind was of not russia, part of the russia in trying to get to the red planet ironically has not had much success <laughs> they uh people don't realize in general how hard it is to get to mars i mean it's way hard what, what's we the failure it. rate we've done it uh, well i mean yeah but even then we keep losing probes we lost like what four of them in the 90s alone it was ridiculous well, but, yeah so russia, it was the russia 90s lost... everyone was doing crazy stuff bry you were losing probes uh, Making so out with your sorority sister. Pro- <laughs> Russia lost one of their big, one of their their major Martian space probes, and sad. And because you know, it, it would have been a boon to science, so it's not like yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it would have been good if it, it launched. And then they had one of their a supply mission to the ISS. Yeah, cool. now that was that was uh, that was unpopulated, right? It was a Soyuz uh, spacecraft. Yeah, nobody was on it. Nobody was on it. Uh, That's and, and, and a Soyuz, as you pointed out, Brian, it's a very very stable launch system. Yeah, it's. it's you know, was the best that the German engineers could make post World War II, and the Russians have kept that design going pretty well. Um, yeah, I mean, I'll tell you. I mean, it's like Richard Garriott said; he was glad that he wasn't on the space shuttle because the Soyuz had, I guess, at that time, a zero failure rate. But I guess now they couldn't say that. Yeah, I don't know. It might still have like that Soyuz because, like, yeah, the the they've lost. You know, it's hard to know some of the early early you know Russian launches because they've lost entire cities. To rocket explosions. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all about Soyuz how you is, crunch the numbers, Brian. <laughs> yeah, but Soyuz is a pretty stable. No, the Soyuz absolutely stable. And you know, I think Gary, I would know better than I. So, oh no, Mister Astronaut. <laughs> Andrew says, but anyhow, so we had a couple statements from the Russians about, well, you know, you know how great it is, and all of a sudden some major setbacks. Well, pay you no mind to that. Problem solved. What do you mean? What? Well, uh, the uh, the head of uh, well, they have a the head of Russia's uh, the space chief uh, uh, Ross Cosmos is the name of the wait his name is I guess. Cosmos. That's not his real Ross name. Cosmos. <laughs> no way. Is that right? true? Hey, it's on the news on the internet. It must be true. Yeah, he okay. wears synchronized clothing, and he has a plastic ring going around his head. Hi, so. comrades! It's me, <laughs> Ross Cosmos. So, I love moon rocks. Oh, so they had the, their unmanned Phobos For ground science. probe, which was to explore the moon, and 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 didn't work. And so, anyhow, uh, he's he's got a theory. You want to, you guys, any ideas on the theory? Theory for why they're having all this trouble? 
Yeah. Oh. Hi, um, space friends. It's me, Rosh Koshmos, with a theory for you. No, it's not. It's who he works for. He's Vladimir oh. Popovkin. So there's nothing funny about that. Okay. <laughs> have you tried the new Pavakin chicken they have at McDonald's, by the way? <laughs> have you seen those? No, I haven't. I actually have them. popcorn. Excuse me, Popovkin chicken now at McDonald's. Oh. Nice. I'll have to get right on that. Uh, what did what did uh, Cosmos Popovkin say? All I know is I got to take a photo of this frozen screen right now because it is a, a before it unfreezes because it's pretty hilarious. Um, this is going to play great for the audio. Listeners. Yeah, for those yeah, of you, I'm, I'm going to describe it because we're going to get the reactions to this. Uh, so so Popovkin, he is uh, he's made he's made some observations. All right, I imagine like him in some sort of Russian underling you know, scouring around like the big launch facilities. There were some photos that came out recently that showed uh, a girl with a, you know, who snuck into presumably into the facilities and it looks amazing. It looks like, you know, that we're about to see a Ridley Scott movie come out of there. I mean, it's just all these awesome. big factories and facilities, but anyhow, I imagine him and his, his Russian comrade skulking around looking for clues and they've come up with a interesting observation. Again, this is a Russian space official. Okay. This is not just some sort of, Nut job. And? He points out that uh, I wouldn't like to accuse anybody, but he points out that uh, the probes that have had problems seem to have a malfunction when they're at a further point around the Earth where they don't have their satellite tracking over another side of the globe beyond the reach of his nation's tracking. Oh wait a minute! Are you saying are you saying that that he's accusing of another nation of of zapping him with lasers or something? Uh, he's saying that that's a possibility that it, that it's something. And he says, "I wouldn't like to accuse anyone." <laughs> but it rhymes with Shemaberica. But but, yeah. but there exists powerful means to influence spacecraft, and their use can't be excluded. All right, so wait, so they're basically they they go out there and make they make a big huff and puff statement about how, hey America, like thanks for leaving the dance. Now it's just a Russian party. We're gonna be sending something to space all the time, and you're gonna be down there sitting on your hands. Right, we're gonna be dancing on the moon, flipping you exactly. off, flipping you the Russian bird. I would love to. This. I would love it if if like we had this technology, but it wasn't for any real geopolitical gain that we used it. But just just like all right, that pissed us off. Seriously, fire up the lasers. Y'all is gonna have some trouble with your with your space probes for a while, Russia. I like well, to imagine that it's completely accidental, and it's just a housewife in Iowa who keeps trying to open up her garage door, and it, it's like it's like Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade with the librarian who keeps stamping the book while Indiana's <laughs> breaking the bottom of the thing. Yes. So she just like keeps like hitting the button, and another satellite just kind of comes down out of orbit. So uh, apparently, uh, a retired Russian general in November, when the Phobos Grand Satellite, you know, failed. He suggested it might have been capacitated by powerful U.S. radar, and this really is, again, and and there there uh, there is Russian politics. I don't know if you guys heard a little bit screwy. No, you don't say. Yes, yes, little bit, little bit. Yeah, is it's almost like they've got a several hundred year history of these things. The blame game there. Falling on the sword there can sometimes mean literally falling on a sword. You're actually dying. Yeah, sure. Yes, a lot sure. of swords there. 
So it's not too surprising. They went to a James Oberg, who's a, we've talked about him before. He is a pretty sharp guy, uh, space expert, really, really astute stuff. He's talked about some cool stuff about how some of the UFO reports we had could have been like MIGs flying up the Mississippi River Valley testing our perimeters. Yeah, sure, sure. Just, just, yeah, you know, awesome, amazing stuff. He, uh, he points out, says, it's a, spe- it's a feature of space launch trajectories that orbital adjustments must be made halfway around the first orbit to circularize and stabilize subsequent orbits. The Russians must know that simple geography, not evildoers lurking in shadows, dictate where their communication blind spots are, but the urge to shift blame seems strong. So Nice. So that's kind of a little bit of an in-your-face for, for Roscosmo and his, and his friends. Yeah, well, the, the, the folks at Roscosmos. Oh, okay. Well, no, that's their mascot, though. They have a mascot. Named yes, yes. And when I like Man, the name, I tell you what, I want Ross Cosmos to be like the um, the Kmart of space travel, where he's just like, come on, you don't need $100 billion for a rocket to the moon. Just come on down for ninety nine ninety five. We got the kid here at Ross Cosmos, the space for less. That is, space if those Yankee pigs don't dance, shoot it down please. first with their lasers. <laughs> You know yeah. what? You if, if you're worried about Yankee lasers, get the Yankee Laser Protection Program. Only ninety nine ninety five at Ross Cosmos, where you get space for less. Prices are out of this world. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, Do you know? Th- th- I forgot the name of that Russian Martian space probe. Ross Cosmos, the space probe loser. Uh, nope. a- a vodka Kremlin. <laughs> better, better. <laughs> Ready? Ready? Ivan Drago. Phobos Grunt. Yes! That's right. I do remember seeing that. Man, I had a wicked Phobos Grunt the other day. I had a big sandwich. I was at Ross Cosmos, and he also has a a sandwich (laughs) shop, and he gave me a a turkey on panini, and uh, I had a wicked Phobos Grunt later the next day. I I imagine Phobos Grunt has the Russian version of Hal. (laughs) Phobos Grunt? (laughs) They got like the Russian right, Hal I cannot do that, Dave. <laughs> yet. Open the pod bay doors, Phobos Grunt. It's like uh, it's like when um, yet. it's like Marvin from the Hitchhiker's Guide, uh, where it's just like you know, you, did you get that command? Phobos Grunt does sound like a Bond villain, though, doesn't he? Phobos Grunt, yeah, dude, he'd be a, he'd be the the giant Korean guy who throws a shoe or a hat or whatever. So anyhow, that probe was supposed to go to Phobos, collect some soil, and come back to Earth, and that would have, that would have been awesome. That really would have been an awesome do, mission. Do we have uh, have we ever retrieved any any Martian bits? For, I know we have Martian meteorites where something no has, no Martian has bits yet struck off you know a chunk of the planet and went flying over here. That'd be a hell of a thing. I'd love to. I'd love. I want to get my hands well, on some of that red we dust. Just launched you know the the new uh, or we're just about to launch the, uh, the that's we have a big one of exciting NASA missions coming up is. Uh, Forget the name of it, and that's going to put a a rover on there that's huge. Um, and I apologize for, uh, and that was actually an item I was going to bring up another one because you know we we tend to talk a lot about SpaceX and the stuff that they're doing, but uh, you know there's fantastic science there. So yeah, it was a uh, November they launched their uh, Curiosity, the Bi Curiosity. <laughs> hey, listen, whatever you need to do to expand the love of space. So that launched in that launched in November, and it's an eight and a half month mission. So I mean that that we're going to be getting summertime. We're going to be getting that. And I remember remember when we had uh, the first rovers, and that was over summer. That was awesome. Sitting down watching that first video from Mars was 
Well, oh, awesome. Well, we got so, the, and we got that new one. Uh, the U.S. just sent uh, the, the the biggest rover yet is like two tons. Yeah, that's, it's one ton. And that's Curiosity. Yeah, there you go. That's the one. Big as a car, bigger than many of the cars that my friends and I had in high school. <laughs> and, and it's and, nuclear but, powered, as the Russians would say, it's a nuclear vessel. <laughs> <laughs> but meanwhile, the the grunt, the Phobos grunt, that that just got. Maybe yeah, Phobos of, Grunt is just off. like hiding out behind a meteor, and then no, once it's waiting to crash back and spew radioactive material on us, Brian. Like next week, what is the Jackal Cast? It's two guys on the scent of geek culture and the people who make it. They investigate the past, present, and future of science fiction and fantasy conventions and fandom. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening to this podcast, you're a crazy geek. All right, you're nuts. You're crazy for it. You can't get enough of it. All you want to do is smother your little nose in it and just eat all of it. That's why you need to go to jackalcast.com and get a podcast where they just talk about it. Because, quite frankly, you're really denying yourself a great pleasure if you don't. Jackalcast.com. All right, uh, folks, if you are a fan of photography, then there's no gosh darn reason why you shouldn't know uh, our guest tonight. Uh, also, he is the, the king of Google Plus, ladies and gentlemen, Trey Radcliffe joining us on the program. Welcome, Trey. Huzzah! Hello, and I've got Ethan. My own little, uh, plus one here. This is uh, this is Ethan Radcliffe, my plus one. Right on. How you doing, Ethan? Well, how Good you to doing, see Ethan? You, buddy. So, uh, did uh, what vile lies did Andrew tell you about this program to, to trick you into coming in and joining us? He probably said it's like intelligent discourse about scientific stories or something like that. No, Trey, no, it's lying right there. <laughs> Well, I know whenever I get together with Andrew that it's going to be a polysyllabic fest of intellectualia. Oh, that's well, that's good. <laughs> See, then, then you you apparently uh, know Andrew Maine as well as we do. <laughs> <laughs> we generally trust him, and he's performed a myriad of magic tricks here for Ethan. And Ethan has ever even acted as his his assistant on many a magic show. Protege. Protege, a protege, yes. You're grooming him. See, now you got to get him writing sci-fi novels and uh, and making no, I don't trailers. Need the competition. That's... Ethan's like very clever and creative, and then that's the last thing I need is talented competition. <laughs> Which is why Justin and I are safe. Exactly. There we go. Exactly. That's why he surrounds himself with an ever-growing collection of dolts. Well, uh, so I'll tell you what. Now that we got Trey here, do you want you want to spin us a scenario? To, yes, I do. Right. So just to, just give sort of a background for Strain Ethan. Guys, what we like to do here is every now and then we come up we, we try to deal with the ethical and philosophical implications of things like Sasquatch, UFOs, and kind of figure out what we would do in certain situations. And I thought you guys would be great, particularly because like, you know, Trey Trey is a you're quite a well known photographer. Um you're quite good, although I think it's just a hipstamatic filter you use or something, right? <laughs> yeah, that's, it's a that's fad. That's your secret. It's it actually fast. little known fact. Digital pet rock. All of his uh, all of his his photos start off as crayon drawings on wax paper, and then luckily the filter is what awesomifies yes. everything. So I'd be I'd be yeah, curious. Like actually the filter, I take a velvet Andrew Maine and I rub it on there. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a difficult move. You got one. I'd buy one, by the way. Uh, we we talk a lot about yetis and Bigfoot in Russia in parts of Russia. There's this uh, there's an industry where certain Russian towns are really trying to gin up interest in yetis by oh yeah they're real they're totally real come visit stay at my cousin Vlatki's Rin you know um, not to be cynical at all to imply that they're trying to perhaps 
fake the idea that they're there. Andrew Maine. Oh, not stop. the Russians. Really? Not me. Um, <laughs> hypothetically, okay? Like, right. what's the weirdest? What if you, you've been out taking photographs? Like, what's the weirdest photograph you've ever taken? Where you've shot, and, and I don't mean like, you know, that weird party you went to in San Francisco. I mean, like, what's like a really weird, what's the weirdest photograph? You've, I'm going to take go this somewhere. Well, you ever seen a UFO um, and photograph? You know, it? I'm sort of a landscape guy. Right. And I think some of my weirdest photos were in, um, you know, that uh, there's this area of China, South China, very remote, called Zhangjiajie. And that was where uh, uh, Cameron got the idea for Avatar. So oh. it's very misty. And there's all kinds of weird things lurking in the jungle. I didn't mean to work weird things in like that. That's by perfectly the way. good. Though. That's good. That means everyone take well a drink. You're a pro. Yeah. <laughs> but those always have some mysterious shapes and wondrous elements in there. And I try to leave them in there. I try to leave mystery and something that could be interpreted in many different ways. So, all right, let's do it. Let's do a, a quiz here. Uh, uh, let's ask Ethan. All right, Ethan. Uh, Bigfoot, real, fake? Don't know. Uh, Do you think he's real, was... Bigfoot? Yes and no. <laughs> That's a right. good answer. Uh, complex what, what, answer. No. <laughs> what, what would it take you to believe that Bigfoot was real? Like, what if we all pinky swore that we hung out with him the other day? Would that convince you? And we don't look like liars, do we? No. Uh, what if What if we had a camera cell phone picture of Bigfoot? Would you believe it then? Uh, for all I know, it might be Andrew dressed up in a costume. <laughs> no, see, that's good. I like, I like this kid. What, what if yeah, I was skeptical. I Bigfoot, but I had shaved earlier today. <laughs> uh, okay, what if we had, uh, what if you were out camping and then you heard Bigfoot-like sounds and then saw a hairy man running away? What if your dad came to you and showed you a <laughs> photograph on his camera and said, look, Ethan, Bigfoot, would you believe it? What if I shot Bigfoot right in the head and that drunk <laughs> No, it's back to the photograph. <laughs> what if your dad showed you a photograph of Bigfoot? <laughs> okay, Ethan, I want you to imagine this, okay? Your dad, your dad goes away on a camping trip. You. <laughs> your, your dad goes away on a camping trip, right? He comes back three days later, a week later or whatever, right? He's all covered. He hasn't shaved. He's dirty and all that. And he's like, hey, Ethan, I need to show you something. And he shows you a <laughs> photograph of Bigfoot. Okay? Do you believe Are you going to think that your dad is maybe a little crazy? Are you going to think that maybe there's some evidence there? What would make you believe? Um, if I saw him in person. Ah, ooh. You won't even take your dad's own word for it, Trey. <laughs> <laughs> so you tell me one of your dad's photographs and i'm sure you've seen a million of them. these are beautiful works of art you can see the the hair coming off bigfoot it's all perfectly rendered it's got a 400 comments on google plus like great shading how would you get that gradient and and you're gonna look at that that piece of art and you're gonna say eh, dad sorry fake fake move on fake and old <laughs> Trey, as a father, how does it make you feel? <laughs> well, I've, I've jaded him because I play too many practical jokes on everybody in the family. So they, it's constantly crying wolf. We have, we have no barometer for what is normal 
into family. So everything is wheels off. Oh boy, that's so that's interesting. So that's the threshold we have here is that Ear Ethan is willing to believe, as we all are, but we've because we practical joked ourselves into anything, we just it, it'll take like Ethan wants to meet Bigfoot in person, but Ethan is that I mean if you saw a guy that looked like Bigfoot, are you gonna be like, all right, I need tissue samples now? <laughs> Apparently. Blood samples or something. But I mean, that's almost kind of what we're doing with the internet. It's sort of making this this hoaxer arms race where everyone just keeps upping the ante with uh, first with photoshopped photos, say ten, fifteen, fifteen years ago. But then, uh, but then with YouTube, it starts all over again with video trickery. And so now there's it's getting harder and harder, and people are getting more and more subtle in the in the effects that they're going for with yeah. their pranks. I, I mean, Trey, like as a, as a vid, as a photo expert, I mean. Is any photographic proof going to work now? No, everything's way too easy to Photoshop. But, you know, uh, the thing is, the funny thing is that a lot of these hucksters, they do not know how to do Photoshop quite right. You can yeah. only see something a little bit weird when you zoom in and look. You know remember those shots that came out of uh, Iran a few years ago that showed multiple rockets blasting off? Yes. It was just yeah. a clear clone stamping trick. Right. Yeah. Um, the video is a little tougher, though. You know, now everyone, if you could take a vote, uh, a photo, now you can also take video. And I want to see some more, you know, Bigfoot walking around with sort of that Steve Ballmer gait. Well, that's right. <laughs> that's the uh, that's the thing that that sort of uh, bums me out, both about UFOs and with Bigfoot, because uh, if it nowadays. Literally, at all times, you have uh, hundreds of millions of high-definition video and photo devices on everybody at all times. You would expect to see, as a percentage, like if these things are out there, you'd expect to see video all the time. I mean, and, and but, but we don't. We don't see an explosion of credible UFO photos. Well, hypothetically, right. all the videos imagine we see, a they all look like they were on Betamax the guy who's and dubbed just, a VHS a and then oh, redubbed. Hang, hang on, hang on, hang uh, on. Both of you guys, both of you guys were oh, talking sorry. at the same time. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Trey, uh, yeah, no, Trey, Trey, you were saying? Well, all the videos we see, they all look like they were on VHS and then dubbed to Betamax and dubbed back to VHS <laughs> and they've got lines. And it, in fact, if people just understood some basics of, you know, composition and scale, then when they do get a video, they try to get something else like a tree or a light post or something. So you can see the relative size of the distance and get parallax and you can make measurements. But, you, you know, ever, these guys, it's just always pretty wheels off what they try to do get. Do you ever see what I think was the Billy Meyer uh, UFO photos, which for the longest time the believers convinced you. And he would it would always be like a, they look pretty good. He did the cups like video or excuse me, some film. And it'd be a UFO, but it's always floating by a tree. Oh, like yeah. as an intentional guidepost to set to set the frame of reference, or some would say it's where the wires were attached to. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, let's but, say theoretically. What, theoretically. Uh, Trey, let, let me ask you this: let me, let me, hypothetically, hypothetically, imagine somebody with a really high profile, you know, uh, maybe a known in photography, maybe who's actually a curator for Google Currents, uh, who's their poster boy for the new Google Social Search, well liked, well respected, has a really sharp kid, came out and said, "Listen, guys." Here's a UFO photo. I can't explain it. That'd blow up. Yeah, because that person would have credibility. Somebody who's mm -hmm. built a reputation on being able to capture unbelievably beautiful vistas and realities exactly. all around the world. And let's say that person sent that original photo to weirdthings.com for the yes. exclusive posting rights. <laughs>
and 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 got his good friend to write the book about the experience, <laughs> and another friend to do the one man stage show, which involved anal involved UFO probes. <laughs> 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 Very particular probes, Ethan. They don't. It's not loose in his nose with nails. Very, very science fiction, Ethan. Yes. <laughs> She's like, thought, just a thought. You know, throw that out there. This is this is like the beginning of an Ocean's Eleven style heist where we try to set up everything as soon as so, we go yeah. off the air. So if try, you get like you get a knock photo. on your door. And send it to weird things. Do you think that its entree onto the internet via weird things might have it lose a bit of credibility? What are you trying to say? Our blog has got a I'm fine reputation. No, no, Trey's, Trey's got a good, good, good point. Uh, I'm, I'd like to announce my new blog, True Things, that I'm launching <laughs> tomorrow. Who and broke the whole goblin hysteria <laughs> story? Exactly. That's weird things. As weird if things it were all over true. That. As if uh, well, here, let, let me let me ask you this, Trey, because uh, obviously you take a, a lot of photos and a lot of you know Vista photos or, or uh, photos of large areas. Have you ever gotten some email of somebody who's like, "Hey, by the way, in in your in your Shanghai picture taken, you know, whatever June of '07, do you notice that there's like a ghost rising out of the grate or like some weird thing?" in the bushes or, or the leaves of some sort of uh, picture you've taken? Have you ever gotten somebody who's found something that they think and they are sure is proof that it's something weird? I have. That happens about once a month. I really? Guess, uh, really? You know, we get a lot of uh, conspiracy theorists that frequent the blog for whatever reason. You know, they're on the Internet. And so yeah. they come and they find things in my photo, and they're not – I don't put them in by on purpose. You know, they're just patterns, like uh, you know the the Virgin Mary in a grilled cheese sandwich. There's, yeah. I have so or so the government has paid you to say. Can see anything? Can you remember anyone like recently or? Yeah, let me find one. I'll find well, one. I'll I'll I'd love, I'd love to get a few of them and put them up on the site. You get a knock on your door. You open it up and it's like General Ross. <laughs> You're like General Ross. Aren't you a fictional character from the Incredible Hulk comic book? He's Call like, me no, Thunderbolt, Trey. licensed it, all right? Um, he's like, listen, I'll give you two scenarios here. First one is like, listen, uh, we saw you're photographing some stuff in New Mexico. Uh, we need you to erase it. And you haven't looked at it. You just got back. You just got back. You know, your kid's like, daddy, you know, and you're like, you got your film. And he's like, we, we need it. Can we have it? Would you, Yeah, do you just no. turn it over? Wait, really? You take a stand? No, no. I never turn over photos. Only one time. In, in Tokyo, was I intimidated enough to do this? There was a, I found the photo, by the way. I'll share it in a second. So I was, uh, uh, I was doing some street photography in Tokyo, okay? And I kind of like to hang back in the shadows a little bit, and I find little pools of light where people are walking through because, you know, Japanese people are generally interesting and they're dressed weird. So I saw this real <laughs> badass. They're Asian, too. Okay, he was like this six-foot-four... Six Japanese guy with long dark hair and he had on like this long leather coat that was all um scalloped like it was like armor and it had huh. big shoulder pads hey, and he was walking did he just come from the Japanese Renaissance fair or it's it's like it's like a Renaissance fair and this guy so I took his photo and he he ran right over to me and kind of like glided over to me he looked like Darth Vader, and he goes, show me that photo, and I showed it to him. He goes, erase it. So wow. Erase it. 
That guy, just, but I think he was some sort of you know Japanese mafia badass guy. And he, was was this at night? A samurai. Was this at night? Yeah. yeah. It was a vampire. <laughs> they don't like to be photographed, those vampires. That's yeah, I mean, it sounds like something out of Blade. Erase this. <laughs> so uh, are you able to share your, your screen there, Trey, and then we'll take a look at the photo? Can I? What do I click in Skype to share my screen? Um, Are you on a Mac? Yeah. Uh, then one of these Mac guys can tell you. You're going to want to hit the Chibia share screen icon in the window for the call. I think you can. Yeah, there you go. Uh, well, I know in PC, you just right-click on the screen and you say select share your screen. Now, for our listeners, we'll uh, we'll post a link to this on our. If that's cool, Trey, we'll put put up a link to it. So our yeah, that's our, cool. Here, I'll just let me type it in chat here. One of you can go to it. Hey, there you go. Okay, because yeah, most of our people uh, are audio that? listeners. Hey, there we go. Oh yeah, no. So this is already up the thing on is, your. I forgot where the conspiracy theorist was because I post this on five different places on the internet. And someone said they saw a menacing face that was clearly on the left side of this photo. You're like, no, that's my son. <laughs> well, what's funny ah! is you said that you said that, and clearly you see a monkey here in the middle. Uh, a menacing <laughs> face on the left side. You said, yeah. Okay, let me look on Facebook. I think because this one got like 250 comments on Facebook. By the way, Facebook gets more traction than. Uh, google it seems oh my gosh yeah no facebook is very very sticky and people tend to uh to continue to mine for content there long after uh it's been posted whereas uh, both google plus and twitter seem to be very ephemeral so is this okay, is this so the right so photo right, right we're here? looking at is a gigantic vista gorgeous photo as as all of your your work is trey but this is of a road a country road with a big mountain range off in the distance and some clouds artfully dotting some light there on the hillside but you said on the left they saw a menacing face yes i'm trying to find it now it must be on google plus where they posted i will i'll tell you in just a second so so this guy claimed it was on there but you don't see it it's not the kind of thing where once you see it you're like all of a sudden oh that's satan in his pajamas no okay here's the google plus post all right let's let's we can find the nut together okay (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> We're playing a new game. Find Satan. There we go. Because if you look carefully at the cloud formation, about a third of the way across from the left, the cloud looks like half of a man's face. All right, hold on. I'm gonna I'm gonna see if we can get zoomed in here. Oh, half man face. Half of a man's face, about a third of the way in. Um. Oh, I see it. I see it. Yeah, they're like the nose yes, and the eyebrows. Oh, I see it. Oh, look, it's a nose and a mouth, and he looks like he oh, has a mustache. Oh, I know what this is. I know what this is. This is a portent. Hold on a second. Bear with me. Bear with me. <laughs> wait, I don't, pro- I don't see it. I don't see it. Dude, oh, wait. Brian, right at the top. Right here? Oh, yeah, here. No, no, no. Uh, go left. Yep. Right there. You're over it. Okay. Right Which way is he facing? He is facing left, and the nose. So the, this is the nose? No, no, no. Go lower. All right. You have to understand, Brian, it's a man in the clouds, and he's partially obscured by clouds. <laughs> All right. He I looks, got, he I looks forlorn. You, he has little eyes and nose. Brian, once you see the scooter, look, you'll look, never look, be no, able to see it. I found yes, it. Look. It's, it's sort of Mount Rushmore-like. <laughs> it does. Okay, so it looks like the Prometheus image from Ridley Scott's new movie coming out. Um, it is the Prometheus image. Man, I don't see it, guys. I can't see it at all. I see it. Is this some sort of viral marketing trail around it? I, I I don't I don't, like like this area is where you guys are saying. I right, just, yeah. move, move, like move tighter, slow, tighter. move slow. Stop right there. I, go down. 
All right. Go over. Go right there. That's you right in front of the nose. Okay. And he's facing go. to the left. Go to the right. And nose. Eye. Nose. Eye. <laughs> this is going to be the best audio That's podcast. That's his nose and eye? I don't, oh, 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 wait. Eye. No, I do see it. Oh, my God. I see it. I see yeah, it. See it. Look it's at, like, look. no. Oh, my God. It really is. It looks like a giant man is peeking out over, and it does look like the Prometheus image. It's a giant man like he's just about to pounce out. From behind those uh, uh, those mountains. Oh my God! I see that so clearly. We'll, we'll put this side by side with the Prometheus photo because I'm telling you, it's like it's you know Prometheus, the new you know Ridley Scott movie, which we mentioned Ridley Scott earlier. Spooky, you know, it's about like aliens, really, really old aliens, and you know the relationship to mankind. Presumably, Man, now that I see it, I can't see anything but that. I mean, he's just ready to pounce out. He's looking straight at me. <laughs> This is serious soul. stuff, Ethan. I don't know why you're laughing at us. Yes, that's <laughs> a, this is science. This is how yeah. calculus was created. This People is how go- grown-ups make important discoveries. <laughs> <laughs> this may or may not be a viral marketing campaign for that movie. Uh, I hope Wait it is. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what, Trey. I'll, I'll tell you what. I would love it if, uh, if if there's any other photos like that. If maybe we could post uh, a few of the the conspiracy images of uh, of, of Trey Radcliffe on on the site because I think this is. Uh, that's a that's a super fun game, and and I'm sure you've had a couple of them. Well, uh, Justin, I would love to do this menial task for you, but I'm extremely busy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, calm down. <laughs> hey, so uh, what's the, the there? There are two words for this phenomenon, but the only one I ever seem to be able to remember is apophilia, which is specifically seeing faces in noise. So I guess that's what this is right here. What what's the other word for it, Andrew? Do you know? Is it paradelia? Yeah, there you go. That's the one. Um, I love that. And it's like uh, Carl Sagan, of course, in uh, uh, his book, The Demon Haunted World, writes this whole essay talking about how important it is for babies to recognize a face so they can coo and smile when their mother gets nearby so that it will induce in the mother a need to want to nurture the, the, the child. So as a result, it's so important from a biological standpoint that we see faces everywhere. In wood grain. Awesome. And then vampire Japanese guys who tell you to delete your photos. Yeah, so you felt physically intimidated, Trey, and you're just like deleted, boss. Yeah, I wouldn't have if it wasn't for this uh, this armor that he had on. It was it was like you know, <laughs> this guy was something else. I felt uh, I'm not one to feel intimidated. I'm not I'm not tiny or anything, but man, he uh, yeah he yeah uh, he I shivered think he made my right choice. You believe in magic? Well, if you don't, Joe Diamond's gonna gosh darn well make you. He's forcing magic down your face in a way that only you will find delightful and accepting. At youtube.com slash diamondcutmagic. All right, just go over there. It's got a new series. It has pranks, tutorials, hilarity, amazingness, and enough magic to blow your mind to the point where all of your friends are now worried about you. That's it. Diamond Cut Magic. You can find it on YouTube, youtube.com slash Diamond Cut Magic. So, uh, and and that's one of those, you probably, do you have to do some studying about the legal side of things as far as where you can and can't take pictures? Because I know right now in the video world, there's the whole question of, you know, cops don't like it when you take video of them. And in states like Maryland, they'll they'll sue you and or arrest you if they catch you uh, videotaping the police doing their their job. Like, uh, where, where does a photographer come down on what do you have to learn for that for knowing your rights 
Well, if you're out taking photos sort of in a public area and you're doing street photography, then almost anything goes because you're basically acting in sort of an editorial, journalistic type way. And nowadays, the word editorial is so slippery since really anybody can publish content in an editorial manner. Yeah, true As long as you're not doing it for profit, right? As long as I'm not taking these photos and selling them for money for commercial purposes, then it's perfectly fine. It is, you know, purely kind of journalistic and editorial. So you don't need model releases or or this sort of thing. It's it's anything goes for street photography. And and so now now what does that mean? Does that mean like you could take the photos but you and you could display them but you can't sell them or uh, like I got to imagine like if like, if you just happen to catch a photo of a bus, you know, running over 25 nuns or whatever and then the New York Times like we want to give you a billion dollars for this photo. I mean, I got to think that you would be allowed to sell the photo, right? Well, that's uh, that's typically the the exact case they talk about in law school. By the way, uh, <laughs> nuns, the nuns v. School Bus, nineteen sixty seven. Yeah, the old nuns by the school bus. <laughs> yeah, state of uh, Texas like versus, versus Justin Ferguson. Robert Young. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so in that case, uh, yeah, you can sell these things that are certainly newsworthy. Once they become newsworthy. They uh, they they have a different sort of standard because if they're taken in public, um, then they're perfectly okay. That's why you're 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 allowed to sell like photos of celebrities that are on the beach, but you can't really sell them if you jump into their uh, climb the ivy and take pictures inside their home. That's that's too much. But in public, uh, anything once. goes. And selling to the news is different than selling for uh, um, art or. Uh, licensing rights to getty or something like this so but but could you theoretically uh let's you know have a giant eight foot by ten foot print that uh called oprah zit and it's just a massive close-up of a zit you happen to see on oprah winfrey you could or couldn't sell those for for 200 bucks a pop yes celebrities are extenuating circumstances because they are sort of considered public domain they have no uh right of privacy when they're out in public Um, okay so and now I don't know if I could do that of like Justin. You know that that's a good question. If he yeah, could, hear that uh, Justin, he you ain't no celebrity. Well, let, me, let me ask you this though, Trey. Um, did let's say like for example of the work that we've already seen, did you need a model release when you took a picture of the face of the man in the clouds? Yes. Did you have to get his signature? <laughs> <laughs> Zardox no, I, I is his name, by the way. Team. They didn't know. Zardox. Is 20th Century Fox going to sue you is what we're asking. <laughs> Zardox the Promethean is very angry. You can tell he's ticked off in the in the photo, too. He's got a fat nose. What a honker. So, so General Oss knocks on your door. You're like, no, I'm sorry. And uh, lay off Bruce Banner. He means well, right? <laughs> uh, if... You know, there's there's the other thing too. If we get into, you've got a lot of amateur astronomers out there who are taking some great photos. Like you've seen some of the photos of the ISS against the moon or against the sun, and now you've got guys who are trying to track. Like the the uh, we have the Air Force has their own space plane, their secret space thing that you know may or may not be trying to track track Chinese space stations and stuff or whatever. Which you know you got to wonder if uh, you know. If they're, you know, Air Force is calling people and saying, hey, could you maybe not publish that blog? I don't think they do. I think they just sort of let these things go. But that gets into sort of a sort of this weird area where, you know, it used to be, what was it just a few years ago? Uh, surveillance photos were limited in the resolution they could have because, you know, the, the, the military didn't want 
foreign powers to have commercial access to, you know, really highly detailed, you know, Google Maps and things. And do you see, like, is that a, I mean, are we getting to this sort of overlap now of what we're able to do as civilians versus what the military can do? Well, it's uh, it's a total sea change because now all of us have multiple cameras on us all the time, even if you're not mm-hmm. really... Uh, and good cameras, too. I mean, the the, the, the yeah. iPhone 4 camera is no slouch. Yeah, yeah, really, really good cameras. And generally, people are uh, just openly uploading this stuff to Facebook and Google Plus and, and everywhere. So it doesn't require any kind of big um, government effort to, uh, to get high, uh, a lot of imagery uh, up online everywhere because it happens just sort of organically. And it happens to happen in the most uh, populous places, right? Because New York gets about, uh, you know, five times as many photos as Dallas because there's five times as many people there. So, um, you know, generally what's happening is that uh, the individuals of every country are producing much higher res uh, real-time information uh, than the government could ever hope to keep up with from a top-down system. Well, let's ask a couple questions here then. Uh, One is... You're you're probably really much more versed in what's being going going on. Like like things like Microsoft PhotoSynth, I think, is an amazing piece of technology, and you know the, the kind of that next generation of stuff. When you just start stitching together all these public photographs together, you know how far apart, how far away are we from like like real time. You know, real time. I search for like you know uh, I live near Fort Lauderdale. You know, Fort Lauderdale. I put in a street name or something like that. And a site just throws all the photos that have been taken in around and gives me almost a 3D view based upon that. Yeah, well, we're not that far at all from this, uh, the old minority report scene where you can uh, look at a scene and d- scrub backwards and forwards in time and see what's happening. Um, you know, right now you could even do that, but the resolution will be slow and there will be big, chunky gaps in mm-hmm. um, your timeline. But, you know, as time moves forward, everything does uh, double, you know, every 18 months or so. So you'll start to have higher and higher resolution, uh, better fidelity, and more regular timestamps of when you're able to scrub through any area. Uh, The most populous and visited areas will be more real-time than the others that lag behind. Uh, But it's moving that direction. And and rather than just having photos, I think really what happens, rather than having a going back and scrubbing through photos that are kind of photosynthed onto a, a 360 wall, I think it's going to jump into, into video because as soon as we have these AR glasses that we all travel around with, uh, we're not only going to be able to be see this 90-degree FOV in front of us as we move forward. You know, certain people like me and probably you guys that are kind of plugged into the Internet and people are interested in what we see and what we do will just be broadcasting a certain percentage of the day. And it won't just be us broadcasting, but there'll be hundreds and eventually thousands and tens of thousands of people broadcasting. And so you're going to be able to choose which individuals you want to plug into their live feed and see exactly what they're seeing. Or you can uh, see some sort of amalgamation of all of it uh, matrixed into a uh, into a uh, extrapolated environment. You know, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of interesting to me, too, is that. I do for writing my books. I, I, you know, I have a couple that are historical books, and so I've got to go back and look for. I, I pull up photos of what Chinatown looked like in 1892, and you know, you go look at a photo there, and you get that, and look at some other photos of New York City, and 
is we find this stuff and we digitize more and more of these things and we can start to assign these things geolocations. I, I love the idea of, one, to see what things are going on now, like you point out. You know, if we start putting out you know, ubiquitous webcams in popular places where we want to hang out, but the idea of being able to go back and holding up my iPhone and going into an augmented reality mode and seeing what a building looked like before or what a city looked like before and just to see kind of roll back and forth into there, just, that's an exciting technology. Yeah, I, I lament that it's only been such a short history that we've had this kind of technology. I've Right now I'm reading, I'm almost done with Bill Bryson's new book called Home. Where he read that. takes every object in his home and every room and goes through and traces the entire history of it and talks about just how awful things were in the olden days. And, you know, I, huh. I, I consider myself pretty well versed in, in history and anthropology and this sort of thing. But he has all these little slices of life that I can't even picture. There's certainly no photographs of. Um, there is this cool app, though. It's called uh, Something Time Machine. And you can uh, you can just put in a year like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, 1915 or something. And then it pulls in all these YouTube videos that were shot during that time period. And it like there's this one of uh, Barcelona. There's just a streetcar going down Barcelona that's filming everything it saw like in uh, 1906 oh, wow. or something like this. And it's just fascinating. Um, it's not the kind of stuff that you have easy access to, but um, maybe as this stuff gets kind of cataloged <laughs> and available over time, we can go back and see it very easily. Well, absolutely, and that—that's the, the when we start being able to do really massive amounts of data stuff, you start looking at a lot of you know film that was shot in the '30s and '40s for movies and exterior shots of New York City, where nobody bothered to take a photograph of you know three or four buildings there, but it's it's in a film frame, and it's not going to be in those high resolution, but we can use algorithms and interpretive you know, uh, things to fractal stuff to figure out pretty much what it would have looked like. And the idea of to rebuild the past, you know, photographically, you know, going back and then, you know, beyond that, it's hard. But I, I think that it's, that's, it's going to, it's been an exciting point to do history because now you have this, you can do all this massive data, you know, numbers and data crunching. You know? Yep. I agree. Uh, by the way, that app is called video time machine. You got to get it. It's, I think I played it on the iPad yeah, and the iPhone. It is a, it's a trip. So, Ethan, do you do you take photographs? Sometimes. Do you have Do you have any interest in it now? I mean, do you do you worry about taking photographs? Do you like scrapbooks or things like that when you hang out with your friends, or you just kind of figure out that it's online? Why bother? Well, one thing he does a lot of is he makes a lot of YouTube videos, and he puts them on his YouTube channel. Huh. Huh. Yeah, what's, and what's he shares YouTube them with his channel? friends. And actually, his friends and him get together, and they make YouTube movies all the time. And um, I've kind of gotten him really used to YouTube, like, because, uh, you know, certainly we didn't have this when we were, we were growing up. I wish I did. But, like, I might go for a jog, and I say, okay, while I'm gone, Ethan, I want you to get on YouTube and figure out what is Redshift. When I get back, mm. I want you to tell me all about Redshift. And, you know, he'll he'll have found a few videos, some probably inappropriate, but ultimately you'll tell me what redshift is you know yeah that's the uh that's my one worry uh with with youtube is i would love to be able to let both of my kids completely unrestricted go nuts because there's so there's there's you know obviously a lot of trash but there's some genuine brilliance out there uh you know award-winning lectures your your ted talks and that kind of stuff um but uh, but the problem is you know you just have there's no way to parse 
the level of appropriateness for for the kids right now. They don't have any self-instituted outside of their pornography situations. Everything else, you know, there are snuff films. There's people getting killed. There's comments with, you know, language issues and stuff. Um, What's the URL on that? Yeah. <laughs> Y-O-U-T-U-B-E dot com. Uh, is, is that something that you that you worry about with uh, with with your family of, of just or just like kids will see whatever? And sorry, you saw a guy's well, head get cut off today. I, I worry about a little bit. You know, Ethan is he's got a real good head on his shoulders and, um, you know, he knows basically right from wrong. And so that's sort of a, a sort of a fundamental philosophical premises on which everything he does is based. And so he knows if he sees something that's not quite right, even if he's not ready for it. And I'm and I'm okay with that. And I know that if ever something is weird, he'll ask me about it. You know, we have that kind of relationship. And and uh, so I'm generally okay with it. My my wife is a little bit more worried than I am. But I wish YouTube could do something very simple. And now that they have these channels that you can subscribe to, and they've got lots of great educational channels and entertaining channels that are perfectly fine for him, I wish I could just subscribe to about 50 awesome channels for him, and he could just watch those channels because there's you know hundreds of thousands of hours of great programming that I would just love to just lock him into. Yeah, uh, and then you know, we it, could go explore together sometimes. Is it uh, Khan Academy? Have you seen that? Yeah, we do Khan Academy together. In yeah. Fact. I, I'll uh, tell you. I have and, my account. He does his account. It is Khan Academy. Is man, it is awesome. Dot com. Yeah, no, it, it it is, and it's it's utterly stunning. I mean, it, it's uh, when I posted it on on my Google Plus a couple of weeks ago, I was like, this thing's a rabbit hole. You're gonna disappear and three hours later come out, but then you'll know how insulin works. I mean, it's just yeah, the the, the kind of things you would never even think to to find fascinating. Uh, like I'm looking right now, they got plate tectonics. Uh, it's it's the total democratization of a college level education. If you well, have you seen the Khan Academy for Math? No, you what it looks like. No, no. Oh no. my gosh, Brian, you got to see. Yeah, that's how they got started. It's, was it's not just videos, but it is uh, like an HTML five site, and it's just like a tech tree in civilization. Oh, that's and you great. start out with add addition one. Okay, you do addition one. You have to get ten questions in a row right, which are all machine generated, and then it, that unlocks addition two and subtraction one. Okay, and then you have to get ten in a row right on each of those, and that unlocks multiplication one and division one, and then over time your boxes get more and more complex as you get into fractions, and eventually algebra. And then if you keep going further and further down this this tech tree, you can unlock computer science type stuff and learn programming. That is awesome. Yeah, there's a there's a it, new startup now too that has a really neat web-based programming thing where it teaches you how to pro- code via web thing. It says type this and you type this and you execute it and it runs it and it does this, which I'll find that too, which is just I was sitting there playing with like, man, I could spend hours on this because it's like teaching you how to do like basic you know, you know, basic JavaScript and, you know, and it just, uh, oh my God, just imagine if I, you know, Ethan, how old are you? Um, 10. 10. Like, yeah. Imagine if I had this when I was 25, um, <laughs> how different my life would have changed. Yeah. Well, and I'll tell you what, it's, it's interesting to me with the advent of, uh, that we live in an age where we are making a science out of addictive rewarding behaviors for like these these massively multiplayer online games uh where it's like uh, it's amazing how much of 
um, Star Wars The Old Republic is exactly the same process from World of Warcraft because they know that they've exactly nailed that right scratching the itch of like do this, get this reward, grab this loot, move on to the next monster. And if you can turn that to uh, take those scrolls. That was when my, my my thumb apparently hit a random button. This special report just came in. Do they have <laughs> one for learning how to do a video board? Yeah, exactly. Maybe maybe I'll be able to do that someday. But it's amazing if we could take that same addictive behavior and uh, instead apply it to, to learning. I think that's fantastic. And I, I assume this is what you're talking about right here that's on it. the practice tech tree here. Yeah, and what happens is... Uh, it's got badges too. You mentioned wow and stuff. So if you do these quickly enough, you unlock all these badges and you get honors. And uh, probably if you go up to the top somewhere, you might even see some of the various banners. Oh my gosh. This is, this is amazing. This is in every way. Like uh, all of a sudden, uh, I mean, to be honest, it's not even homeschooling at this point. It's, it's go, go at your own rate, learn as fast as you feel like it. Uh, I mean, education's essentially free at but, this yeah, point. But it's homeschooling with really smart people. Yeah, the smartest and the best. Yeah. And and by this very nature, the most popular videos uh, should be the ones that convey the information most effectively and get people excited about it. So essentially, uh, technology makes possible to have the finest education. I, don't, I, I think about this all the time. I think about how uh, even the poorest uh, among us here in America live better than the greatest pharaohs of ancient Egypt. Oh, yeah. And it's because it's because the, what they had to accomplish with slave labor, we're able to co- accomplish with technology. And that is so stunning and beautiful, and it really makes me optimistic for the future. And you look at, like, the open courseware initiatives and all that. Ethan, really quick question. What do you want to be when you grow up? Now. Um, A Bigfoot hunter? <laughs> Editor of TrueThings.org? You can't. I'm already going to be that, so stop thinking that if that's what you were thinking. Um, I don't know. Something about video games. Something about video games. Yeah, right on. Yeah. Man, I'll tell you what. Then you totally should watch Game On debuting this Sunday, January 15th <laughs> on the Twin Network. Is, is it age appropriate for a 10-year-old? Uh, yeah, I think I think it is. I mean, we'll, yeah. we'll have some clever innuendo, some bleeped cuss words maybe. <laughs> There's no bleep cuss words. Well, we say jerk ass. Not in this episode. <laughs> no, that's true. <laughs> and not like you just said it right now. That's right. So uh, speaking of disruptive, uh, if you guys want to stick around, I've got another uh, another section here. Um, we'd love to get your input we on gotta, We got to run. Okay. They got oh, a Sasquatch. Yeah, you see, this is your moment where you're like, I'm sorry. I think I just saw a Sasquatch. You grab your camera and just dash off, and we're left holding the bag. Well, uh, let me let me tell everybody. Uh, of course, stuck in customs is uh, is Trey's site. He is also the poster boy for for Google's new social search. So if you've seen any of that, then you've seen a smiling <laughs> face. Everybody, go check him out and follow him on Facebook and Google Plus. Uh, seriously, uh, the the photography is something that you he, will never forget. It is. He amazing. is a he's a curator too for uh, Google Currents, which is their new uh, basically a neat way to kind of a. You know, uh, accumulate you know interesting content so you can follow Trey there, and 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 Trey's uh Trey's got really neat sensibilities and stuff, and find some really cool stuff. I mean, he's like, it's great because I, I loaded up the Google Currents app on my iPhone and like, oh, content from Scientific American, Gawker, Popular Science, All Things D, Trey Ratcliffe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, makes sense to me. Absolutely. Uh, so clearly a clerical uh, thank- error, but thank you very much. 
Thank you to you and, and Ethan for uh, for taking time out of your night to join us. Awesome. Thanks a lot, guys. Take care. Thank you, guys. All Good right. You, Bye, y'all. Bye. Bye. Good. Now they're gone. Making me feel so dumb and yes. inferior. Killing uh, me. Yeah. Uh, pretty cool. Trey's, Trey's, Trey's a very neat guy. Very, very uh, multi-talented guy, too. I think he's got like a degree in mathematics. He's created video game companies and photography stuff. He's a... Uh, Makes me kind of jealous. Not be, you know, great <laughs> kids too. You know, yeah. What's up with that? How come he has to hog all the success? Oh, and I know. Totally. I think I've said this before, and it's not like he doesn't deserve it, but he has easily the best social media experience I've ever seen in my entire life. Like he posts things that are amazing, and everyone tells him he is rightfully amazing. They accurately oh, yeah. assess his work and just shower him with compliments. His his Google Plus, you know, fo- you know, his Google Plus, you know, articles and stuff get like a gazillion links and all that. And I've read them. He and I have actually gone Bigfoot hunting in Yellowstone Park, by the way. No kidding, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, we were in woods, and there could have been Bigfoot there, and we probably were hunting for cookies or something. But Bigfoot could have been there too. Yeah, we that's were eating the- brie cheese and looking into each other's eyes, but it was basically Bigfoot. Yeah, like Bigfoot Trey- was the monster in our hearts. Uh, Trey has definitely earned it because, like, I'm looking at his content. It's not like. It's not like the three of us where, you know, we find articles that we find interesting and share and we're excited. if This someone... is the funny. Right, exactly. It was a funny gif. Uh, but then but then meanwhile, like, look at this. He, he t- generated this content. He made this photo, posts it. It's got 3,200 plus ones and 1,000 shares and 500 comments. It's like he wins but the look, Internet. The, he just, wins just look Google. At, look at those comments. Lovely. Wow. Stunning. Stunning. Fantastic view. I love the rich colors in this. Kapachow. I'll tell you like meanwhile, mine is all like spam that's not even in English. Like for, for some other country. That's just Justin. Yes, Andrew, it is just me. Justin. Talking about one of my favorite apps ever. To be honest, folks, uh, we had somebody send in an ad and it reads like this. You know what I love more than my imaginary children? Apps. I'm crazy for them. I once bought three in a single day, but before I'm dragged away to the app rehab clinic, I'd like to mention one of the best apps around. Yes, folks. Spelled Z-Q-A-S-B-S-P. Now, this was purchased, and I read it like it was written, and I searched for Zagbazoo. But I couldn't find it. So I don't know whether this guy just wanted me to say a bunch. But if that was the case, then mission accomplished, my friend. We've got a lot of stuff we'll do uh, for our next episode of Weird Things. I realize we're now probably over an hour on this one. Yes, indeed. So I'll save my, my topics for the next time. You want to do, do picks real quick? Let's do picks. Who would like to go first? I'm going to start off by rescinding a pick that I had previously. Oh, wow. Remember I told you I was listening to uh, 1Q84? Yeah. Yes. I was extraordinarily dissatisfied with the way that book ended. It was uh, the first third was fascinating and had a whole bunch of questions. And then the whole middle third was literally every character waiting. There was one hitman who's waiting, watching another guy who's in his apartment waiting for his childhood love who's in another apartment hiding Waiting until the coast is clear for for a full third of the book, and then and then there's no conflict, no, nothing, and and then basically a guy girl hold hands and walk off at the sunset. Books over. Spoiler alert. Way ticked uh, at, the, at how that book ended. 
So um, there we go. One Q84. If you bought it on Brian's recommendation, fooled you. <laughs> yes, that's that's my official unpick. Uh, but meanwhile, let's see. What did I just? I just finished something, um, and now I don't remember what it is. I'll go. Andrew, you got one. Uh, Brian, did you do? Did you do the Hunger Games as a pick? Yes. Yes. Have you, so did you fi- talked about? Did it. you finally read it? I did read it. I did read it. I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. Um, the um, thought, uh, did did you notice all the food porn? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I guess that that kind of fit into you know when your subject is a girl who's half starving to death. Yes, I mean that's uh, true. But I, uh, I I thought it was very well written too. And given taking a overview of a lot of the recent young adult books that have gotten a lot of popularity, I would have to say it's probably the best written one that I've come across. So did you do the whole the whole trilogy or just the first one? Just the first one. Just the first one. Yeah. No, I, yeah. The, I think you should yeah. I think you should experience it. Uh I, I suspect I'll like the movie better than I liked the book. Well that's encouraging though. I think I think that's the I think the book was well done and I think that the movie, you know, it could go on that. It's by the movie's directed by uh Gary Ross, which uh hasn't done a lot but uh one of his one of one of my personal little favorites is Pleasantville which he directed. Oh my gosh, I have I am such a sucker for for hold on. I actually just opened up my Audible app so I could see what books I had and then all of a sudden uh Peter F Hamilton's Evolutionary Void is playing. Uh <laughs> the uh uh yeah, sorry. Oh, uh I just finished Stephen King's new one about the time traveling guy who goes back to to take down Lee Harvey, Harvey Oswald. How was uh, that? It was uh, uh, as you, as I'm sure you're aware, Stephen King has a fantastic ability to start off a story by asking inter- interesting questions, but many times he sort of falters in the third act, and in, in that he gives you unsatisfying answers or unsatisfying climaxes. Uh, this is not one of them. I really enjoyed where all of this went, and the whole thing goes full cir- circle at the end. It was very satisfying. He could have ended with a mystery, but he doesn't. He actually tells the full story. I can highly, highly recommend it. Well, that's good to hear. It's gotten great reviews, better than a lot of his other books. Uh, that's encouraging. That's very encouraging to hear that. Yeah. No, well, I what, what's it. the name of that one? Uh, it is the date of uh, Kennedy's assassination, 11-22-63. And, uh, yeah, wholeheartedly can recommend that one. Very cool. Excellent. I'll do a, a real quick movie pick. Um let me let me make sure I get the right movie pick here. So I pull up my Netflix, what I watched there, because there's two <laughs> movies I've been confusing them. Oh, you in. know what? On Netflix, I'll actually uh, I, I will chime in on that as well. Um, not a weird things kind of pick, but I just watched the increasingly poor decisions of Todd Margaret. Uh, the entire series, uh, series one, is on Netflix, which is amazing. And I am back in anticipation of the Legend of Korra, the new Avatar series coming to Nickelodeon. Uh, I uh, go back and rewatching Avatar: The Last Airbender, and it is so good. It is so good. It's so rich and detailed. The fight choreography is gorgeous. It brings a new element. Pretend the movies don't exist. Uh, it is funny and engaging. I cried watching an episode yesterday, and it's like it's it's so freaking good. Uh, if you have Netflix instant streaming and you are not watching. And have not watched Avatar: The Last Airbender. You are a bad person until you rectify this. This would be the cartoon. 
Yes. No, dude, I, you, you bring it. Yes, it is the cartoon on Nickelodeon, the Kids Network. It is as rich and as detailed and as delightful as any novel I've ever read. It is so are you into so the new uh, My Little Ponies uh uh, dude, it's it's this is how much this is like I've got the glow right now from having just watched an episode. There's nothing you could say that'll make me feel bad about loudly proclaiming my love for that series. It is so no, incredibly the My Little good. Ponies one? No, the the the, the have, Avatar have, of the Last Airbender. Have you Airbender. seen the fan following for this now? Uh what? For oh for the My Little the Ponies. Bronies. Yeah, the bronies, bronies are huge. We got a taste yeah, man, of the bronies so the other day. We did. Uh well, listen, um all, uh, Andrew, you were looking for your. your I'm gonna. Movie? I'm gonna say I enjoyed this. Uh, was a Centurion, which is available on uh, Netflix. Um, there was another one. I remember the other one. I was. I would have recommended was the Eagle, but I, I thought both were pretty interesting. Around relatively sort of the different stories, sort of dealing with kind of the same event, uh, and uh, totally, totally fantastical sort of takes on it. No relationship to actual history about. You know, the, the period of the Roman Empire when they were trying to take over Britain and not succeeding. And Centurion stars, stars Michael Fassbender, who's, you know, now a big, uh, you know, critical darling. It's mm-hmm. got a uh, it's got a pretty good cast. It's a pretty interesting story. It's by Neil Marshall, who did, I want to say, uh, like Dog Soldiers, I think. And I think did Descent. Um, let me just double yeah. check on that. So did Dog Soldiers. He did Descent. Did Doomsday, which I was kind of eh on. But He's a he's a pretty solid director, so that's Centurion. I, I recommend that. Right on, Justin. What do you got? Yeah, I'm gonna go uh, with the second Song of Ice and Fire book, A Class yes! of King. So you are diving in. This is good for me because it says, and you still haven't even finished the first series as on HBO, right? No. Okay. No. No. I so have not. Against, um, against our own advice of always seeing the movie first, you are diving into book, book land. Well, the problem is I just hang around with too many people that just want to make jokes about things. And, <laughs> like, I just have to read things before. Because, like, just existing – if I just existed in the internet in my current life, I would eventually know everything that happened in the books. Yes, correct. Just, I would just stumble bits and pieces of, of information uh, between – the the show coming out and everything so i'm reading through it now it's uh, it's really really excellent and it, it's it's just a great just a triumph of world building and and a triumph of uh you know building this this universe where it, it doesn't the, the the stories it's not like there aren't great uh arcs for your characters because there are but it's so well told that they almost seem effortless yes um, you know that that you don't. But by the end of it, you're like, "Wow, not a lot happened, but I really had a good time." And then you look back and you look where all your characters started, and you're like, "Oh my god, a billion things happened!" But you were just so wrapped up that uh, it has its own unique pace that really uh, is is amazing. So check that out. Uh, of course, Roy Dotrice reads uh, the audiobooks is what I've been reading, and I'm looking forward to moving on to the uh, the next one, Storm of Swords. Storm of Swords, I think, yeah. That's, and then that Feast, is Feast the, for Crows. The third one, and then the Feast for Crows, and then the Dance of Dragons. And they released the name for the new one as yet unreleased, which will probably come out sometime in 2027 by his <laughs> writing. Awesome. Well, boys and girls, this has been the Weird Things Podcast with our special guest Trey and Ethan Ratcliffe. Thank you for listening, and we hope to be back real, real soon. It's been weird. The following
following is a free preview of Andrew Maine's new ebook, The Chronological Man, The Martian Emperor. You can purchase it right now on Amazon for only 99 cents or the Barnes & Noble Nook Store for the same price. Invasion, New York City, Central Park, 1892. Police Sergeant Robert Nelson was in the middle of a dream where everything was curiously green when the telephone rang in the downstairs lounge of the boarding house he lived in with half-dozen other bachelors. Never having much use for the infernal device, he put a pillow over his head and did his best to ignore the annoying bell. He was surprised at how well the pillow worked, until he realized someone else had picked up the phone. All the better. If only he could get the pillow over his eyes to block out the bright green moonlight blowing from his window. The stairs creaked as somebody came walking. Nelson pulled the pillow tighter over his head, hoping that it would act as a talisman to prevent the inevitable knock on the door. Mr. Granger, owner of the boarding house, rapped on the door with his familiar three-in-one knock. Nelson wanted to ignore it. He contemplated for a moment, pretending not to be there. But he knew Granger saw him come in a few hours earlier. A call at this hour could only mean the incompetence of the police station had managed to lock themselves in the holding cell. Some other foolish deed. He let out a large grunt, informing Mr. Granger that he was headed down to the telephone. The footsteps retreated down the hall, and Nelson pulled himself out of bed. He regretted the double nightcap the moment he stood up and squinted to ignore the harsh green light. Is it? Nelson said into the receiver. Sorry to disturb you, sir. Nelson rolled his eyes. It was that nitwit Winfield. Nelson had been told that he only stammered in his presence, but wasn't sure if it was a put-on or not. What is it, Lieutenant? It's... It's, 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 it's about the light, sir. The light? What are you talking about? We've been getting hundreds, uh, h hundreds of calls, sir. What light? Light over Central Park. The, the green, the, the, the green light. Recognition seeped into Nelson's mind. The green moonlight. He couldn't remember ever seeing that happen before. What am I supposed to do about the light, call an astronomer? People, people say it's getting closer. Closer? Closer, Winfield repeated. How close? People are calling in to say they think it's landing. Landing? What am I supposed to do about that? Call Central. They called us. They said the mayor called them. His sister can't sleep. Fine, fine. Meet me at the east entrance. I'm two blocks away. Nelson put the receiver back in the cradle and shook his head. He shuffled back upstairs, donned his police uniform over his pajamas, and tucked his revolver into his belt. He wasn't worried about the light as much as the lowlifes and the drifters who tended to use the park as kind of a shantytown when no one was looking. He walked out the front door and could clearly see the bright green light. His first reaction was it was some kind of balloon lit with electric. As it grew closer, he could see it appeared metallic and was shaped like a pie plate. The green light emanated from several portholes around the circumference of whatever it was. Nelson didn't know what to make of it. It looked like some kind of Edison contraption for a fair. 
who just kept walking toward the park and staring into the sky. His curiosity built, though he tripped while crossing the street when his foot got caught in the gutter. Winfield and Lieutenant Haywood were waiting for him at the east entrance, as were several hundred other people who'd gathered at that late hour to see what the light was. Most of them had dressing gowns and robes thrown over night clothes. Winfield and Haywood were doing their best to keep people out of the park. Nelson walked over to the entrance and stared up at the thing. It was now just a few dozen yards above the ground, just over the treetops. Nelson looked at Winfield. The man returned the look, expecting him to explain everything. Nelson turned around. The crowd was silent, but waiting for him to do something. It's, it, it, it's just like something out of one of those Jules Verne novels, Nelson grunted. He had no idea what Winfield was talking about. I guess I should have a closer look. He hesitated, hoping that somebody else would have a better idea. When no one spoke up, he entered the park. He kept his eyes on the green thing as he walked across the grass meadow. As he drew closer, he could make out rivets and seams in the hull. It had to be some kind of flying contraption, he decided. But who? There were no supports underneath it, and it didn't appear to be tethered to the ground like a balloon. His stomach began to feel a bit unsettled as he thought about the possibility of it being some kind of war machine, perhaps a submarine of the sky. He reached down to tap the edge of his holster when his foot hit something. There was a loud scream. Nelson fumbled with the catch to pull his gun free. Several shapes low to the ground came running past him, all of them making bleeding-like sounds. One of them nearly knocked him over. He brought his pistol up and realized that they weren't making bleeding light sounds. They were bleeding, because they were sheep. The flying machine was hovering over the sheep's meadow in the park. They, in turn, all decided to leave at the same time. Nelson put his gun back in its holster. Although he wasn't sure if the sheep had the right idea after all in fleeing. He reached the edge of the clearing, where the strange object was now hovering only a few dozen yards off the ground. Now what? Nelson wasn't quite sure what his civic duties were at that point. Should he shout at it? Ask them to leave? Ask who to leave? Almost in answer to his own question, a large shaft of light poured out of the underside of the craft. He had to squint. The buzzing sound he realized that he'd heard all the way back at the boarding house had grown louder. Something was happening. He hoped it wasn't a bad thing, but he couldn't imagine a good thing happening under those circumstances. The light shut off below the craft, and something now stood underneath it. Nelson thought it was another strange device at first, and then it moved. Only loosely man-shaped, it was definitely not man-sized, and it was carrying something massive in its arms. The strange man had to be nine feet tall by Nelson's reckoning. The green light from the craft cast an eerie shadow around the figure. It had two arms and two long legs that ended in heavy boots. For a head, it had a large red globe that seemed to be filled with red gas. To Nelson, it looked kind of like a deep-sea diving suit, with the exception of a single globe for a helmet. Nelson was still trying to figure out what he was looking at, 
before he realized it was walking toward him. He wanted to run away. He touched the holster of his gun again and flipped open the catch. Stop right where you are, Nelson shouted. The strange man kept walking toward him. Stop or I'll shoot! Nelson raised his gun to the strange man. Put away your weapon, Earthling! A loud voice echoed across the meadow. Nelson gripped the gun with both hands. A blinding flash of blue light shot into his eyes. Something knocked him over. His head felt numb. When he looked up, the strange man was now towering over him. He raised his gun to fire and then noticed the barrel was bent ninety degrees to the side. The strange man turned the large gray object he was carrying and set it down at Nelson's feet. It made a loud thud and sank into the grass. We bring you greetings from the Martian Emperor. Nelson couldn't tell if the sound was coming from the strange man the craft above his head. He looked at the metal slab that was now standing at his feet. It was covered in writing. The strange man who had placed it there turned to walk back toward the center of the meadow under the vessel. A cone of light surrounded him, and then he was gone. The buzzing grew louder. The craft began to lift. It floated into the sky and then vanished. He was alone in the dark meadow with the metal slab. It was too dark to read what was written on it. He could only make out its silhouette against the stars of the sky. He had no idea what just happened, but was pretty sure it was important. He screamed and felt something touch his ear. His heart tried to beat its way through his chest, and he resisted the urge to fire his bent pistol, lest it explode in his hands. Nelson resigned himself to a horrible fate as he felt something warm and sticky salivate on his ear. He kept waiting for the inevitable pain to set in as monstrous teeth devoured him, but it never came. He felt the downy fur of the sheep on his cheek and then breathed a sigh of relief as the animal moved on to munch on a patch of grass. The Sleeper April Malone looked into the face of the strange man standing in the middle of her office. The eyes were locked. Her lips were apart, frozen in mid-utterance, as she was about to remind the man of her name. He'd shushed her and insist that she give him the chance to remember it. He'd only moments before emerged from the mysterious vault-like door between which he spent months, perhaps years, God knows what. April had seen him emerge only once before, the first time they'd met. He'd been experiencing a kind of amnesia then as well. He couldn't remember then if he'd ever met her. This time, he could tell in an instant when he saw the crestfallen look upon her face when he'd emerged and asked, Have we met? It would have been an innocent question if Smith hadn't been the most extraordinary person she'd ever met and taken her on an equally extraordinary adventure. The question was like a hairpin in her heart. His face was helpless. The moment the question left his lips, he saw her reaction and regretted it. April's reaction would have gone from surprise to hurt 
had he not followed up with the quick addendum. You seem like a very special person, he said, followed by fumbling in his pocket for a white note card. It says my name is Smith, but you already know that. His nose caught the scent of fresh pastries and coffee and jerked to the service trolley she'd set them upon. His feet took him there, yet he never broke eye contact with April as his hands forced donuts and eclairs into his mouth. Crumbs fell to the floor as he ravaged them. She watched as life almost seemed to flow back into the gaunt face of her mysterious employer. She hoped his memory would return, along with his vitality. April reached a thumb out to his cheek and wiped away a crust of white sugar powder. Smith smiled. Where are my manners? He held a jelly donut out to her. April waved it off. His childlike innocence was hard to stay angry at. She knew he couldn't help his condition. At least, she thought he couldn't help it. She still wasn't quite sure what the cause of it, or even if it had anything to do with his long absences. Miss Smith started a sentence, hoping her name would come to him, as the syllables rolled off his tongue to no avail. He looked at his white card again, and then turned to the desk at the right side of the room. I have a feeling that we're supposed to do something very important. I think... No, don't tell me your name. Please let the fog clear. He sat down at the desk and turned a metal crank on the side that powered the machinery inside. Here we go. I think that's doing something. You... Please, miss, let me think of it. Smith stared at the desk and waited for something to happen. April closed her mouth and watched as Smith continued to turn the crank. He ignored the blue punch card in the middle of the desk. He was supposed to place that into the brass slot, or at least that was the way it worked the last time he sat down at the contraption. But she remained silent, not wanting to disturb him. Smith turned the handle for a minute and then looked at the desk, confused. It appears to be broken. April cleared her throat and eyed the blue card. Oh, <laughs> of course. How silly of me, said Smith. After he followed her gaze, he smiled, picked up the card. He stared at it in his hand, unsure of what to do next. Whoops, looks like I got a bit of jam on there. Smith wiped the red glob off the corner. He absentmindedly licked his finger as he held the card up to the gaslight. Hate to foul up the works with a little bit of jelly. He continued to stare at the card. April raised an eyebrow. All right, Miss Malone, tell me what I'm supposed to do with the card. But please don't tell me your name. Sometimes it can take days or never come to me at all. Please do not be hurt. April shook her head. The slot. Place it into the slot on the desk. Yes, of course. Smith leaned over to the desk and fed the card into the brass slot and then began to turn the crank. He looked up at her and then smiled as he turned it and then looked back down to the desk when it began to make a mechanical sound. I just said your name, didn't I? Yes, April tried to restrain the shy smile. The desk made a bell sound. How... Extraordinary. Smith's eyes lit up. April walked over to the desk and looked down 
The dials were still spinning. Smith gazed up at her and smiled. I don't normally remember names so quickly. At least, I don't remember remembering them. The dial stopped spinning. The card spit out of the slot in the middle of the desk. Smith pulled it out and slid it into the metal device and started to slide metal plates back and forth over it. This will take just a second, Judith. Judith? April's smile vanished. That was very clever, what you did with the cannon on the pirate scout. Always a quick thinker. Smith made a few notes on a sheet of paper and continued to be oblivious to anything but the task at hand. Who's Judith? April tried to make the question flat and neutral, as if it were just a matter of small talk. Judith is dead. Smith looked up. Why'd you bring her up? His face looked hurt. I... April wasn't sure what to say. I misunderstood you. The truth was there was little about Smith she did understand. Yes, I I'm sure things are quite confusing. I feel especially foggy today. I can't quite seem to get this contraption to work. I'd like to wring the neck of whoever built it, but I suspect that it's me. I'm certain that there's something very urgent for us to deal with. Smith, perhaps, April started. She desperately wanted to tell him that she already knew. Now, now, Miss, Miss, damn it! In the moment, he was frustrated that he forgot her name again. Very foggy. I had the strangest dream about a sewer and a giant squid, a squid in fresh water. How peculiar. Sounds interesting, April mumbled. A chill went down her spine as she recalled the events of the previous adventure. Quite. If it wasn't for the most extraordinary young woman, I would have met my end. Amazing girl. Very intelligent. Quite pretty. If only she... Smith looked up at April's blushing cheeks. Oh, my. If only she... April wanted to know where that sentence finished. I don't mean to carry on about another young woman like that. I don't know if it's presently rude or, or not. No matter. Miss, you are all right? You look a bit flushed? April turned around, walked over to her desk, and picked up the newspapers that had been sitting there since Smith burst into the room. Smith looked up from the contraption as April dropped the paper onto his desk. I'll take a look at it later. In the meantime, I have to figure out what's so urgent that needs my, I mean, I mean, our attention. April Malone. Smith looked up at her. I told you not to tell me! My name is April Malone, and the papers all say the Martians are invading. Good Lord, Miss Malone. Why didn't you tell me sooner? This has been a free preview of Andrew Maine's The Chronological Man, The Martian Emperor, the brand new ebook you can get for only 99 cents on Amazon or the Barnes & Noble Nook Store. If you've already read the book, we encourage you to support the author by reviewing it on Amazon. Also, if you'd like to read the predecessor to this book, The Chronological Man, The Monster in the Mist, please head to Amazon, the Barnes & Noble Nook Store, or Apple's iBooks. If you would like to 
sponsored this podcast, please go to weirdthings.com slash sponsor to buy your listener sponsorship spot. Say whatever you want 